0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Dawn. Welcome. After All is said and Dawn, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you saw about the tweeter-in-chief. This day, this very day, the 26th of May, President Trump tweeted that the states, the various states in this United States of America should open up, open up for business as soon as possible, ASAP. Should open up ASAP. Well, the coronavirus death toll here in the United States of America is one thing, worldwide is another, but it keeps rolling on. It keeps incrementing, increasing. And there is uh, much talk about a second wave and what have you. The thing about communicating with people, if tweeting is communicating with people, I think that is debatable, but communicating with people, in this case, with the governors of the states, indirectly, and with the people of the various states, that they should open up for business. You know, it doesn't necessarily follow that everybody gets in line. I saw that it was stated that three quarters of respondents to a certain poll stated that they would not attend sporting events until there is a vaccine. Of course, there's this idea in the minds of a great many people that a vaccine is a silver bullet. But the reality of the situation is something more complicated than that. And we will get to that a little bit later in this program. But in any case, when the president wants to communicate, this is his favored means of communication, is Twitter. Because after all, everybody's on Twitter, right? Everybody. It's just astounding to me. It's like these businesses, which are in large measure directed by very young adults and who imagine that everybody is just online, everybody is focused on technology, everybody is living exactly the way they are living. And so they end up having I don't know, sales promotions, discounts, and all manner of things like that that are only available for those people that have smartphones, so-called, despite the downside of smartphones and what have you. This kind of thing, I've just seen it for years now, where companies, they entrust very high positions to very young people who have a very short frame of reference and cannot imagine that people do not do exactly as they do. And President Trump is in that camp, you know, despite his age. What is it now, 70? I believe he's 70 years of age. He might be that young. He may not, maybe a few years past that, but it just is inconceivable for me that he is as tied into Twitter as he is. But he actually is ideally served by Twitter. It is his dumbed-down mode of communication. the World Health Organization, the WHO, they have predicted there is going to be a second peak in coronavirus infections. Well, that's not something that they alone have determined that's been being spoken of. It is happening in communist China and elsewhere. But, Perhaps you saw that the very dapper governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom of California, he issued, of course, stay-at-home order throughout the Golden State. Well, this particular stay-at-home order banned in-church services. Banned church services within the confines of church facilities. Call them what you will. But there was a court case, a little court case, because pastors of churches wanted to be able to open for business and hold church services in this case, made its way to the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco, where Gavin Newsom used to be mayor some time back, back before he was lieutenant governor, back a ways. But Gov, Gov Newsom, he prevailed before this court because the United States... Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is notorious for leaning left. Leaning hard left. And they found in his favor, it was only a three-judge panel. Now, when you hear that there is a ruling from a court, it's very misleading, that terminology, because it can often be from one judge, or as in this case, from three judges, split two to one. Or it can be, of course, United States Supreme Court meeting in full nine justices, and perhaps they are rendering a unanimous verdict, nine to nothing. Perhaps it's split five to four. But the court decides. No, judges decide. Very fallible Sinful, blind, ignorant, arrogant, entitled, imperious, elitist people in so many cases. Well, the court ruled with the governor. So no church services in California at this time, in the great state the most populous state in the nation. I wanted to uh, share a couple quotes with you concerning this decision. Quote, under the governor's edicts, Bishop Hodges can bump shoulders with congregants at a shopping mall, but he cannot minister to them in a safe and sanitary church sanctuary. That is blatant religious discrimination, and we hope that the Supreme Court agrees. They are hoping that the United States Supreme Court will take up this case. I I happen to think that's probably not going to be the case. I just have that feeling. But, again, concerning the governor's lockdown there, his stay in Place order, Newsom's executive order, quote, illogically assumes that the very same people who cannot be trusted to follow the rules at their place of worship can be trusted to do so, to follow the rules at their workplace, end quote. It is fascinating reasoning, isn't it? You know, we cannot trust them to follow our guidelines and our rules during worship services at a church facility, but we can trust them to do that in their workplace or while shopping. <laughs> it, is, it is incredibly arrogant dictatorial ruling. But The judge, this is the dissenting judge, Daniel Collins, the one in the two versus one. He goes on to say that the state cannot assume the worst when people go to worship, but assume the best when people go to work or go about the rest of their daily lives in permitted social settings. Hear, here. Altogether too rational, Judge Collins. Altogether too reasonable. You know, that just won't do. He's in the dissent. Unfortunately, in the minority there on that three-judge case. I don't know why they are pushing for it to go to the U.S. Supreme Court instead of for the Ninth Circuit Court to first hear the case and bank with all of their judges, all of their justices presiding, instead of just a three-person panel. But that happens to be the way it is. Meanwhile, a nominee of President Trump's, John Ratcliffe, he was sworn in now as the new Director of National intelligence. And he was narrowly confirmed. It was along party lines. It was 49 to 44. But in the Senate, I know that doesn't equal 100, does it? No. It was stated by Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Marco Rubio, Republican U.S. Senator from Florida. He said, quote, The DNI's role, that is the Director of National Intelligence, the DNI's role is crucial to our national security. And I look forward to working with Director Ratcliffe as he oversees the efforts of our nation's 17 intelligence agencies. End quote. I've made mention of this before. (laughs) This incredible glut of intelligence agencies. 17 national intelligence agencies. 17 federal intelligence agencies. Talk about overkill. (laughs) It's just... Tremendous bureaucracy and expense. But that's the good part. (laughs) The mere bloated bureaucracy and expense, that's the good part. But John Ratcliffe, he was a very strong ally for the president during the Impeachment trial before the Senate, before the House of Representatives, before the Congress, before the nation, John Ratcliffe spoke strongly in favor of the president. He was in the House of Representatives, Republican from Texas. Interestingly enough, he had deferred, demurred when his name was first floated to be the replacement for former Senator Dan Coats, who was Director of National Intelligence, but (laughs) it didn't stop the president, from going ahead and nominating him a few months later. What are his qualifications besides being a congressman? Well, he said, the best job I ever had was to be the United States attorney. And what I loved, it was an apolitical position. I stood up always to represent the United States of America. Never one party or another. And I very much view this as this role for the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence. He was a federal prosecutor. It was an apolitical position. I know that probably seems a little bit odd compared to his being a congressman, not an a political position. But that was the best job he ever had, not being U.S. congressman. He's very plain about that. The best job he ever had was being a federal prosecutor, a United States attorney. So now he's getting back, if you will, to his roots. Back to a position more to his liking. And hopefully he will prove a very able director of these overseeing these 17 intelligence agencies. Just outstanding. But more fun. Why do we have such an extraordinary glut of so-called intelligence agencies? If we look back at the history of intelligence agencies in this nation, intelligence gathering, and not just this nation, the United Kingdom and so forth, you find an extraordinary (laughs) Extraordinary amount of the opposite of intelligence represented by intelligence agencies. And I view them in something less than a positive light personally, but that's me. Meanwhile, moving on to the presidential race. Presidential race 2020. Here we are, May 26th, general election, first week in November, first Tuesday, here this is a Tuesday, it is fast approaching, South Carolina's distinguished senior representative James Clyburn. He stated the following, quote, I cringed. No question about that, end quote. Now, that was with reference to what I referred to in the previous program very briefly about good old presumptive Democrat nominee Joe Biden. His statement on a radio program, he said the following, quote, Well, I'll tell you what, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black, end quote. Too funny. I mean, really too funny. Like I said, the black vote has been overwhelmingly enslaved by the Democrat Party going all the way back to slavery. That's right. Ever since blacks received the vote from a Republican president, if you will, Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation and what followed, the Democrat Party has had a death grip on the black vote. And I just found this to be so funny that Joe Biden would be concerned to the extent that he would need to be doing this, call it what you will, race baiting here in his own way, in his code language, using this slang vernacular, he's saying That for any black people that don't vote for him for president, instead vote for Trump, they are Uncle Toms or Aunt Thomasinas or something. That is what he communicated. If you fail to get that, (laughs) you're not paying attention to what he said. So I will repeat it. Quote, well, I'll tell you what. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black, end quote, Joe Biden. But Joe, later that day, because this was brought to his attention, that he had put his foot in his mouth. No, he spoke from the heart, from the mind. He told it the way it really was in his rattling around in his mind but he did damage control that afternoon. Damage control with none other than the National Black Chamber of Commerce. Quote, I know the comments have come off like I was taking the African-American vote for granted, but nothing could be further from the truth. End quote. Biden said, Well, (laughs) Joe, I didn't for one minute think you were taking the African-American vote for granted. The plain, simple truth is if you were taking the African-American vote for granted, you wouldn't have said what you said. He was concerned he was not going to receive as much of the black vote as he's counting on. He wasn't taking it for granted. No, but that's why he brought out the big guns to cow any undecided black voters into falling in line. But he's such a great man. But I appreciated what Clyburn said. What James Clyburn said, (laughs) he said the following, quote, in this instance, Joe did not do as well as I hoped in responding. But I will say this. I go about my business every day comparing Joe Biden to the alternative, not the almighty. He is not a perfect person. None of us are. So what my decision now is to determine who I feel should be the next president of the United States, and I do that by comparing the candidates to each other, not to the almighty, end quote. Well. That's pretty much where I come down along. I don't word it quite that way. But just as I said four years ago, that despite my distaste for Donald Trump Sr. and Team Trump, there was no alternative that was acceptable in the major parties. It was feminazi stormtrooper Hillary Rodham Clinton or it was party-hardy Donald Trump Sr. That was the choice. And there was no way on earth that Donald Trump Sr. would be as harmful to this nation As Hillary Rodham Clinton would be coming in on the heels of Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden, having been there for the previous eight years. No way that Bill and Hill getting back into the White House would not be greatly harmful to this nation, additionally harmful. And so I voted for Donald Trump. I didn't have a choice. And that's the way it is this time. Again, here we get another go-round, if you will, of Obama-Biden. It will be greatly much more harmful to this nation than with the Donald and Mike Pence. But, (laughs) that's just the way it is. Meanwhile, across the pond in the UK, Boris Johnson has gotten himself in a sticky wicket. His popularity ratings have plummeted more than 20 points in one day, I think. But I'll come back to that in a moment. Before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All Is Said and Done. And whatever's right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me, that is on me, that is my fault. Well, Boris, this problem that he has uh, encountered pertains to his closest advisor, his closest aide, Dominic Cummings. And as far as I'm concerned, the criticisms, the backlash, against Cummings, and thus against his boss, Boris Johnson, are ridiculous, but an unfounded, undeserved. However, there is this little matter of so many in high governmental position believing that these rules and these laws and these executive orders that they hand out that they don't apply to them there is that you know so i can understand some people being of the opinion that mr cummings was not behaving properly not behaving appropriately, not doing as he should have done, not sheltering in place, not taking it upon himself to do what he did. Well, what egregious, terrible thing did this man do? Dominic Cummings. He journeyed forth to his parents property in county durham in late march which was a trip that entailed a distance that was deemed to be forbidden 250 miles now i haven't looked it up <laughs> such as on MapQuest or something, to see if it is round-trip or whether it is each way. But all I saw was reference to 400 kilometers, 250-mile journey. Makes it sound as if it's round-trip. But why did he make that trip? He sallied forth. He went to his parents' property. Was this just something, just a lark? You know, was he just goofing off? Was he just being terribly superior and elitist or something like that? I don't think so. The reason that he visited his parents was to work out arrangements to ensure that his four-year-old son would be properly cared for by relatives if he also contracted COVID-19 as his wife had. Now, his behavior may be viewed, may be deemed by some as being inexcusable, irresponsible, Dereliction of duty and what have you. Certainly, I can understand people saying this is a double standard. Hypocrisy, that. But I also understand that he was concerned, gravely concerned, for the welfare of his little boy. And making a trip like that in your vehicle doesn't mean necessarily that you ever need to step outside of your vehicle. If it's a long journey, many days, and so forth, well, yes, then you do. But I'm not convinced that he did. But in any case, as far as I'm concerned... I would give him a pass. Is that because I'm a big backer of Boris Johnson? No. I'm not. Party hardy Boris Johnson. Father of many illegitimate children. Formerly known as bastards. Living with his girlfriend, his current girlfriend, who is Pregnant and who was referred to once as being his fiance that at that great to-do there with the royal family in attendance but since then I've seen her referred to strictly as his girlfriend great man, great national leader <laughs> you know behaving like notorious leaders from the continent but Again, I would give Dominic Cummings a pass, but that's me. Obviously, that is not representative of a great many people in Britain and thus the precipitous plummeting of Boris Johnson's approval rating. But one thing with regard to social media, it there is this phenomena I will refer to it as, that now, unlike 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so forth, now, masses of foolish people turn on a dime and are mobilized on a dime over all manner of foolishness. And it's not an improvement. But it is the way things are at this time. Great unwashing masses, <laughs> whether they happen to have advanced degrees or whether they did not make it through middle school, still <laughs> are swayed greatly via social media, and alarmed, and they react with venom and what have you. But, back to the wonderful, prestigious World Health Organization, the director general thereof being Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. He announced that clinical trial of this malaria drug, I'm going to try to pronounce it, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, that it has been suspended over safety concerns. Yes. They have implemented a temporary pause within the solidarity trial, so-called while safety data or data is reviewed by the Data Safety Monitoring Board or Data Safety Monitoring Board. So that is in limbo. (laughs) Meanwhile, what about a vaccine? That's what we all want, right? Everybody wants to be vaccinated. (laughs) Maybe not everybody, but many people do. And they think that's the answer. In vaccinations, we trust. Vaccinations will save us. And I understand that thinking, but where will these vaccinations come from? Well, if and or when vaccines are deemed to be effective, effectual, efficacious. They will need to be mass-produced in enormous quantities. And the number one supplier in the world of such is in India, the Serum Institute of India which was established back in 1966. It's a family business. It is the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines by volume as compared to by number of different vaccines. It produces greater volume of vaccines than any other manufacturer in the world. And it is currently working on several different possibilities, including the one developed by Oxford University being produced by AstraZeneca, which there's been much hoopla about. It is also, the Serum Institute is also developing a vaccine of its own research and development. But it was stated the following. The government has been doing everything it can to fast-track clearances and resolve import delays and other issues. The government being the Indian government, Quote, we have begun to see approvals come through in days, even on a Sunday night for trials and things like that. Some of these processes typically took four to six months, and now they're coming through in days. India plays a key role in manufacturing 60 to 70 Percent of all vaccines sold throughout the world. Serum Institute plays the lead role of those Indian manufacturing companies. And the chief executive, who's a very young man, He says the team is working flat out. Dozens of buses ferrying hundreds of workers each day to the complex. He stated that we are all in a race to battle the disease. There is no one-upsmanship here. Serum has partnered with United States firms Novavax and Codagenics and Austria's firm Themis to manufacture three possibilities, three different vaccines, which are still in development. And then there is the one, again, being produced by AstraZeneca, but which, if it passes its clinical trials, will be mass-produced, in all likelihood, to a significant degree, by serum. The Serum Institute. Meanwhile, United States of America, the U.S. of A., it has arranged for receiving almost one-third of the first one billion doses or doses of this from AstraZeneca Oxford University. But this CEO of Serum, he said the following, Serum is also working on developing its own in-house vaccine options. It's not just relying on these other pharmaceutical firms. It is working on its own as well, on developing its own, even while it works on developing these others. He went on to say, even if a vaccine does succeed, a treatment to fight COVID-19 would still be required. Some people do not get the desired immune response even if they are vaccinated. You may get mild symptoms. You may get severe symptoms. It depends on your system, but there is a chance. Not all vaccines are fully effective. Currently, the Serum Institute produces more than one and one half billion doses of vaccines every year for diseases which have ravaged the world, like measles and polio. But for people who imagine, and understandably so, who think of India as not being highly developed, because of (laughs) a significant amount of evidence to that effect, it is fascinating that such outstanding technological advances, scientific breakthroughs as this, are taking place in India, and that India is providing for the world with regard to volume of vaccines. Meanwhile, to sunny, balmy New York City, many people in the Big Apple, people who love New York City despite all of the various problems that they encounter, such as very high, very high cost of housing, cost of living, so forth. The crushing congestion of the population, that sort of thing. Nonetheless, who love New York, they are dyed-in-the-wool New Yorkers. They never dreamt they would go anywhere else. Some are now thinking of leaving the metropolis for good because of this experience with COVID-19, with the coronavirus. Astounding, really. Again, for people who identify with New York, that is their identity. They are New Yorkers. Some are actually considering, and it is thought that many are actually considering, Leaving the city. Well, contrast that with what's taking place in the national parks of the United States of America. National parks from Death Valley to Yosemite to Yellowstone. It's amazing what has taken place with the wildlife. That the animals that haven't been seen in Death Valley, pronghorn antelope, have appeared with the absence of tourists. The antelope have come to Death Valley despite the temperatures above 110 degrees Fahrenheit. They have been in considerable numbers. And you see the staffs in the national parks, even though they are shut down, these parks are shut down for tourists, the staffs are in place not necessarily at full strength, but staffs are in place and they are witnessing animals come into these areas that are foreign, if you will, (laughs) in the case of the pronghorn antelopes. But in Yosemite, in Yellowstone, something different. And that is the animals that are associated with the park Are appearing in places that they typically are not seen. They're coming in and about, around and about the buildings, the parking lots, bears, coyotes, bobcats. It was stated the bear population has quadrupled. This is in Yosemite. That's as far as they can tell. Deer and so forth into areas that normally are congested with tourists. The concern is, on the parts of many of the staff, are that when the tourists do return, and the parks are being reopened right now, They were being, a couple major parks were being reopened for Memorial Day. And they are being reopened that when the tourists return that the animals that are older, they will understand, you know, they're back and they will go ahead back where they usually are. The great concern is for the very young the very young bear cubs and such. What are they going to do? Because they don't have that life knowledge. So if they don't follow the adults, if they don't follow the mama bears, if they don't follow the older members of their family units, there could be trouble. There could be harm. They're not concerned about the harm being damaged to the people, the human population. Not concerned about hurt to them, but to these very young animals. Whether they be deer or what have you, of them being in areas where they might be hit by vehicles and so forth. But it's a remarkable contrast. Is that while people in the most densely populated, richest, most sophisticated cities, significant numbers are wondering if it will ever be the way it was, if it will ever be safe, and whether they need to think about leaving, whether they need to seriously consider going elsewhere. And meanwhile, in the national parks, (laughs) there is a very different dynamic. There aren't the people there. The animals have the parks to themselves except for the staff rangers and so forth, the park rangers. But again, that's coming to an end, and hopefully the animals will be able to weather it My own concern, especially, is for the safety and the welfare of the human population, for children and what have you. That's really my concern, but my greater concern, I should say. Meanwhile, in the Koreas, North Korea, South Korea, some North Korean soldiers started firing at South Koreans. In the DMZ, at South Korean forces. South Koreans returned fire. And the United Nations command in their great wisdom, they declared that both sides were at fault. Wise and wonderful. Meanwhile, speaking of wise and wonderful, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan where the Taliban launched an attack at a hospital in Kabul, the maternity hospital. They slaughtered nurses, newborn babies, their mothers. They wounded a great many others. So how did Afghanistan respond to this? They released 900 Taliban prisoners. It was a goodwill gesture trying to convince the Islamist destroyers, terrorists, to extend a three day truce. Oh, it's so wise and wonderful. Yes the government is releasing up to 900 Taliban prisoners from across Afghanistan today to advance the cause of peace, including the continuation of the bilateral ceasefire and the immediate start of direct negotiations. Yes. Yes, you're going to turn these monstrous destroyers into peaceniks. This last week, they committed, the Taliban committed all of these monstrous, heinous crimes, including at this Kabul maternity hospital. But, by all means, by all means, pander to them, demagogue them, imagine fancifully that if you release a whole army full, 900 Islamist terrorists back to the Taliban, that they will become peaceful and they won't harm anyone. Dream on. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.